Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. Hi, everyone. Welcome once again to Brief and Rebirth Podcast, whose mission is to educate, enlighten, and provide healing choices through interviews with grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and people who have inspiring stories to share. I'm Irene Weinberg, the creator and host of Grief and Rebirth Podcast, with a loving reminder that you can see the full show notes and all Grief and Rebirth Podcast episodes on irenweinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at, at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I've become familiar with an extraordinary organization that no one in our listening audience would ever want to belong to, but it is a very important and needed support group to know about. Helping Parents Heal is a nonprofit dedicated to assisting parents who have lost children by giving them support and resources to aid in the healing process. It is my honor today to introduce our esteemed Grief and Rebirth podcast listeners to Mark Ireland, the co-founder of Helping Parents Heal, which has 90 affiliate groups worldwide and 17,000 members. Helping Parents Heal is having its annual conference in Charleston, South Carolina next spring, and I'm looking forward to seeing Mark there. Mark is also the author of two important books, that balance spiritual acceptance with critical thinking, shedding light on the evidence for the continuity of life after physical death. Mark, welcome to Grief and Rebirth Podcast. Let's my... what I know is going to be a very interesting and enlightening interview with this question. Please begin by telling us about your dad, Dr. Richard Ireland, who was a renowned mid-20th century psychic medium and the famous people he counseled? Well, my father was, um, I didn't know it at the time because growing up as a kid, I just figured that's my dad. You know, he's just a normal dad. Um, but contrasting the things he did with other kids' dads, uh, I later learned that he was rather exceptional in many ways. So he had an extreme psychic talent um, and was also a medium, could bring through messages from people who had passed that were highly specific. Um, and provide validations that really healed people. And I, I saw that from a very young age. So my dad, he was unusual in that he grew up during the Depression and went to a Methodist church as a child and then started asking some really deep questions of his pastor at about the age of 12 um, that kind of challenged a lot of traditional thinking uh, in terms of Orthodox religion. And then after that, he wasn't given satisfactory answers. So he went out on his own and did a lot of reading and he had this innate um, connection too. So he needed to reconcile that into his own being like, well, you know, I know I'm connected to God and I know there's more to this um, through his experiences. 
And he, so he uh, went upon his own search. And for me growing up, I saw a man who had a total confidence in the continuity, continuity of life uh, from this phase to the next, and also the value of his relationship to God, um, and saw undeniable evidence that these things were real in terms of his being able to know everything that was going on, and, um, and also that, that we continue on after death. So that gave me a lot of confidence just from a young age um, that was beyond where might, some people might say they have a belief or a hope. And I had, you know, as close to knowledge as you could get. You certainly um, weren't growing up afraid of death or anything. No, not at all. And um, as far as the celebrities, I know he counseled. Um, well, the one that sticks out to me the most is Mae West because he was most engaged with her. And I actually got to meet her when I was 19 years old, which was pretty cool. Um, that was really an experience. But my dad was a real character, too. So we got to go into her apartment and still look like it was 1928 in there. And then we went into her bedroom and he said, can my, sit, uh, can my son sit on, on your bed so he could say he's been in Mae West's bed? And she, told, she said, sure. So I sat on the edge of her bed. It was kind of a silly thing. But um, I also know that he uh, counseled Amanda Blake from Gunsmoke. She was Miss Kitty in Gunsmoke. That's an old I remember show. remember her. Yeah, and I, I, I met her once. Uh, the, uh, I know David Jansen and Glenn Ford and some others he counseled. And um, I even had a card from Mamie Eisenhower that was sent to my dad in 1956 um, around the time he married my mom. And it was congratulating him on behalf of her and the president. So um, had a very interesting childhood, you know, and even in the house, seeing the things that he knew I had an older brother who couldn't get away with very much. Like he would go hot rodding in his car or had somebody buying beer for him when he was underage. My dad would intercept all of these kind of things and really agitated my brother. <laughs> yeah, it's a little hard to be brought up with a guy who knows everything going on when you're trying to be a kid and kind of have some of your secrets and all of that kind of thing. How did your father become a minister? Because he's called a minister. So, um, as I said, I mean, he always felt a close connection to God and the spiritual world around him. And so uh, even though he, he didn't really fully mesh with traditional religion, uh, at the age of, I think it was 12 or 13, he stumbled into a spiritualist church. And at the time, you know, back then in the 30s or 40s, that was kind of a edgy kind of thing to do. And um, what really uh, convinced him, like the things that he had experienced that, made sense and there was a purpose behind them was he went into this church and it was just a very short time after one of his best friends had died. Um, now this friend and he had been playing in a creek the night before and the young man, his mom called him to go because uh, we were going to go into town to see a movie and have dinner. And he says, uh, okay, Richard, I'll see you tomorrow. And my dad just blurted out, no, tomorrow you'll, you'll be dead. And my dad didn't even know why he said it, it just came out of him. Ow. And, um, and lo and behold, he found out the next morning that the, the mom and the son had died in a car accident. And um, so when he stumbled into this church a few, you know, a few weeks or a month later, whenever it was, this, this minister that was giving the service taped and blindfolded his eyes and asked for people to write questions on pieces of paper and send them up. And um, so my dad said, well, what should I write? And the woman who gave it to him just said, well, just write, um, you know, a message, please, and then write your name, Richard Ireland. So he sent that up, and the minister came to my dad eventually, and he says, uh, I've got a Richard Ireland. I have a young man here. 
and he gives me a secret name for himself, and that name is Paisy. Well, no one knew this but my dad and his friend, but they had secret code names for each other, and the secret code name was Paisy. Oh, my goodness. And this man would have had no way of knowing this. And then he went on to say, uh, young man, you'll be doing what I'm doing someday. And that's kind of how it started. And originally, he, he, was, um, he went through the seminary affiliated with the National Spiritualist Association of Churches, and that's where he f- was first ordained. And then he, um, years later, he started his own interdenominational church because he was less into dogma and more into, you know, love and um, inclusiveness, I guess I'd say. So he founded a church that really embraced people from all backgrounds, all faiths, or even those who didn't believe in anything. And in fact, that later spurred him on to do demonstrations in secular um, venues and even nightclubs and things because he felt like, I have to go to them, you know, uh, and reach the people who would never come to a church. And even if it's just with some showing them psychic phenomena that opens their mind up to like, wow, maybe there's more to life than just a body and a brain. Well, it's sort of like we're doing here today, aren't, isn't it? With Grief and Rebirth, we are letting everyone know that there's so much more. That's, that's, exactly. And we're going to, to everyone. And it strikes me also when I got that message, be loving and kind to everyone. That was exactly the kind of church your father founded. Yeah, and he lived and it too. Principles. Yeah, I'd say he, he melded, you know, some of the basic spiritualist principles, but didn't necessarily bring in all that dogma. Um, right. And he, while it had a, I would say, a, a Judeo-Christian feel to some extent, and maybe more of the Christian feel, because there were Christian hymns sung, and a lot of the teachings of Jesus were part of the, the sermons and things. But it, it wasn't um, the same dogmatic kind of message. And he also felt like the gifts that he had were the, the uh, things in the New Testament that are called the gifts of the Spirit. But yet the, the mainstream Christian church, you know, doesn't let anybody practice these things today or they act like it was reserved for one period of time. And his his whole spin was, hey, these have always existed and they continue to exist and they are to be celebrated and embraced. Well, it's a little scary to certain um, organizations and people when they may have to give up control. <laughs> yeah, I think that's part of it. Yeah. And, and, and even parishioners sometimes are afraid because. They're so conditioned to this static kind of boxed in way of thinking, and they're not used to thinking for themselves or breaking beyond that way of thinking what they've been trained to accept and and the way they've been trained to think. Yeah, that is amazing. So growing up like this and seeing this, why didn't you choose your father's path? You chose a different path. You kind of strayed away from that in the beginning. And then when Brandon passed, you became more interested in what your father did, which led to your new path. So would you like to talk to us about that? Sure. Um, My dad always told me I was very psychic from a young age. But to me, it's like, well, what do you mean? I mean, I can't do what you do. So I didn't really fully understand what it meant to be psychic. Or he'd even point out other people like so-and-so is psychic. I'm like, I don't see them, you know, giving people messages with that level of detail or anything like that. I later came to understand that there's a wide range of abilities and not just that, but really everybody has some degree of ability. It's, it's an inborn natural thing. But I think just like in music, you know, you could have somebody that like I play guitar on one end, you have a Eric Clapton, you know, that's a highly gifted, you know, so 
he could, you could have somebody that does all the training and development in the world, but if they don't have that innate natural ability, they're never going to get to that level, at least in my opinion. And I think it's the same thing with the psychic. So I, first off, didn't feel like I had the same level that my dad did. And so therefore, I, how, how do you measure up to that? For one thing, um, if you've seen the best and you're the child of the best, look at how many sons of famous people try and, rep, you know, do what their dad did. And, and it, it's a bust. Right. <laughs> um, so that's part of it. I think the other thing was I just had different interests. Um, and who wants to be their parent? So I grew up, I was maybe a little more worldly than my dad and went down the mainstream kind of path, went to college, got a degree, got married young, had kids young, and went in the business world and was pretty successful and enjoyed that. What did you um, do? What did you do, Mark? Um, well, Actually, a couple of different things, but I'd say most of my career has been in sales management within marketing and um, printing and um, like right now, visual merchandising type work. So it's, it's more in managing um, sales teams uh, up to, a, I've been at the VP level um, before. So uh, that's kind of what my background has been. Um, but as you go down that path and you have the pressures of corporate America, you know, you end up working more hours and you end up spending most of your mental effort on that and well, not as much, relate. not as much on the other things that are really the most important. And so when Brandon passed in January, 2004, you know, that was the catalyst because that shook everything to the foundation and really brought me back to what's most important. And then I re-engaged into really looking into my dad's field and, having my own experiences that helped solidify that faith that I had, that knowledge that I had that helped my wife and I and our whole family and friends heal much faster and, and be able to move on, not just exist, but to go on in a productive and sharing kind of way that could be of service to others as well. Which makes you a role model for so many people uh, that they too can get past these devastating losses. How old was Brandon when he died? Uh, 18 years old. 18 years old. Wow. Yeah. Oh, um, sorry. Just sorry. Uh, thank you. I mean, I know you've been through the, your husband's I, past. I've been through my own also, but we both yeah, have been through it. These are tough, tough things. And uh, that, you know, I'd have to say that was the low point in my life that day. Once, you know, I knew that what had happened and. Uh, he was in an accident? No, but actually he. Uh, if, uh, when you read my other book, you'll get the whole story. But he, uh, it was a day in January of 2004. It was the 10th. I had just been on a business trip the week prior. I got home Friday night and I came into the house and felt compelled to go straight to his room, which on a normal Friday night, he wouldn't be there. But for some reason, I went there, opened the door and he's laying in bed watching TV. And I just smiled at him, didn't say a word, gave him a hug and he gave me a hug back. And then I left his room and then I uh, went into my master bedroom and saw my wife the next day um he had told me that he had intended to go on this hike in the mountains behind our home in scottsdale arizona and within a short period of time i had a really ominous feeling about that and you know i did kind of dismissed it to being a worrisome parent but this seemed much stronger than a normal kind of worry i almost felt like there was another presence there um and then i just said no you're just imagining this so i just kind of dismissed it but uh we my wife and I ended up leaving. We went across town for the day. Um, and then it was later in the day that I got a call from my older son, Stephen, and he was distraught. And he says, hey, dad, um, Brandon's on the mountain with 
the guys and there's something wrong with him. He's, he's stopped breathing and he's, you know, having trouble. Um, can you call for help and get a helicopter up there? Cause they're having intermittent cell phone service. So I did that. We got in my car, scrambled back. It was about a 40 or 40, 45 minute drive. I think at least a half hour drive. I don't remember exactly. By the time we got up to the base of the mountain, there was a, probably a hundred spectators, an ambulance, fire truck, helicopter brought his body down. At first, they introduced us to a chaplain, and I thought that was bad news because I figured chaplains, that's kind of their job. And it took him a little while, and I finally just asked him, I said, you know, did my son pass? And he says, I'm sorry, yes, he did. And that was like the low point where it's, wow. Um, but, you know, that was, you know, hitting bottom and then going back up from there. And there were a variety of experiences short time thereafter that began that healing process and really pushed me to be where I am now and to help other people. What a blessing that because of the experiences with your dad, you weren't closed. Just like what happened to me. I was opening up when um, I started to learn that there was more. So I do talk about your first book. Is, let's talk about it. your first book is The Groundbreaking Soul Shift. Finding where the dead go. It provides evidence, as you've been saying, that physical death is not the end. And it also speaks to the importance of the life we are now living. How does knowing that physical death is not the end help to illuminate the importance of the life we are living now? You must be an expert in this. <laughs> you know, all about well, this. I think to me, the first thing it says is there's purpose. You know, if there's a continuity of life, then there's meaning to life. Um, whereas if somebody views it like, hey, I'm just a physical being and that's it. And when I'm gone, it's ashes to ashes, dust to dust. They may not care about anything but, you know, gratifying themselves in this life. Um, whereas I, I feel like there's something more. You know, there's a continuity. There's meaning. There's purpose. And there's love. You know, underlying all of that, the main thing is love. And that the love you felt for someone here will continue on. And you need to share that love with other people while you're here and, and be of service. So you can enlighten them and make their lives better so they can find their path, their purpose, and they can fulfill it. I, don't, I, I think one of the things that um, spurred me on in my healing to heal after I lost my husband or after he transitioned over was the fact that I had a son. And... I said, I have to get through this because I have to, somehow, I have to find my way through this. And of course, I had gotten a message, so I knew that there was more up in the moment. But I said, I have to be a role model to show him that you can get hit by a grenade in life and somehow come through on the other end. And my son has said to me, Mom, there's been nothing worse than seeing you in complete despair and nothing better than being able to see you have joy again. And that's what yeah. I tell people. That's why if you can heal, if you can make sense of it and you can move on, there are other people who need you and you can be a tremendous role model for people. Yeah. Early in my second book, which you've already read this part, um, I remember a woman named Sandy Canales said to me, Mark, um, focus on what you do have, not what you don't have. So if we all look at that and think, gosh, you know, I am missing my son so much, but I have a loving wife. I have another son. Now I have a grandbaby. I have all these other friends and, right. and life is still rich, you know? And if I flipped in it, if it had been the other child, I would, you know, still be in the same boat, you know? 
you miss this one child, well, then would you miss the other just as much? Of course That's you right. would. And no one can replace Brandon, but there are, uh, but Brandon spurs you on now in a different way, and you're still connected with him in a different way. So he's yes. still part of it. And you and and I am so I am so along the same line with you about that, um, Mark. We're gonna have to hold on just a second. My dog needs out. I'm sorry. I'll be right back. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, we're gonna take a quick break to allow a minute for our sponsors to keep this podcast free for our listeners. So, Mark and I will be right back. Hold on, everyone. I figured you could edit that out. <laughs> that was perfect timing because we made time for our ad and now we're back. Oh, Thanks great. for tuning in for my insights build interview with Mark and we're going to continue on with this question. Mark, I'm currently reading and learning much from your second book titled Messages from the Afterlife, a bereaved father's journey in the world of spirit visitations, psychic mediums, and synchronicity. One of the many topics it tackles is rigid skepticism and religious concerns over the paranormal. Please talk about these mindsets and how you handle them, which I am fascinated because I run across those mindsets too. So I'm eager to hear uh, what you say to people who say this, there can't be any validity to well, what you're doing. It's interesting because they're both very dogmatic. <laughs> they're just on opposite ends of the spectrum. So they're kind of both religions. One's a religion of, of hopelessness and um, meaninglessness. And the other one is a, a religion of hope, but um, I would say one that is conditional or you know very rigid in its, its views. So um, in terms of the skeptics, you know, I think open-minded skepticism is a very healthy thing, and I am an open-minded skeptic. I, I don't believe everything without checking it out. Um, I, I look into things, but I, I will allow myself to be convinced uh, of the reality of certain things if, if the evidence is there and it makes sense. Whereas the kind of skeptics I'm talking about are really more cynics than skeptics. Um, they're, they're not open-minded uh, even with enough evidence or with uh, with they oftentimes aren't even willing to look at the evidence or consider it, but they'll just dismiss it. And the reason for this is it doesn't fit their worldview. And that's the same kind of thing for those who are, you know, on the fundamentalist religious end of the spectrum sometimes, too, where they're they have a locked in way of viewing the world. And if it doesn't fit in that, then they can't accept it. It's just denied and pushed away. So. Um, you know, the way I answer it is just to challenge, you know, first off, I spend a lot of energy answering them in those two chapters in that book. Um, so one on the, on the religious front, you know, I would basically contradict them with their own scriptural passages, you know, that support this kind of thing. Because, you know, whether they realize it or not, there are contradictions in the Bible, both in the Old and New Testament. Um, and so you have to take that into consideration. Otherwise, you're just denying that, you know, you have to look and say, you know, at the end of the day, you have to discern, you have to read and interpret and think for yourself, too. It's not just taking what somebody serves up on a platter and saying, this is the truth. But looking at that and, and truly digesting it, do the hard work yourself. And the same applies to the skeptic, you know, just because you've been told this, uh, materialistic paradigm is reality, you know, that it's all just matter. Well, they never even 
look at the fact that, you know, underlying matter is just energy and vibration. You know, quantum mechanics tells us that. But they, they uh, are locked into this way of thinking like, look, it's all just matter. Thoughts are generated by brain activity. Um, there's, there's, nothing, there's no such thing as a soul. Um, but they can't prove any of that. Consciousness, they cannot prove that consciousness is produced by the brain. And there are so many paranormal things that prove that it can't be. Um, near-death experiences with 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 um, situations where the person who's out of body reports things um, like um, uh, Anita. I'm trying to think of her name. Anita Morjani. Anita Morjani. Yeah. So she reports where she's actually out of body. Her body's dying of cancer. She's down the hall, far away from the room where her body is, um, and she overhears. From that vantage point, and her husband and the doctor there, every all the specifics the doctor sharing with her about her condition, sharing with the husband about her condition, and that she's probably going to pass soon. And then you know later she does get revived and comes back. Well, you know, a skeptic could say, well, you know, um, she still had enough brain activity to hear this or whatever. Well, not if they're down the hall. I'm sorry, you know. So those kinds of things, um, or you know, certain things that mediums share uh, can also provide that kind of validation as well. That, you know, you couldn't have that kind of information if everything's just contained in the brain. I could not agree with you more. So now I want to ask you, you participated in mediumship research studies, and you also created a credible resource that certifies mediums, which talks to how you... Um, your open-minded skepticism is healthy and you find the evidence for this being real. What are mediumship research studies? How do you screen mediums? And how can our listeners find high-caliber mediums through your service? Okay, well, if they want an example of one of these um, experiments that I participated in, they'll actually find a link to it on my website. So the Discovery Channel aired um, this episode quite a while ago when I was at the University of Arizona energy systems laboratory um, and what they did there was put me in a room with a medium but the medium's back was to me so the medium could not see me and then they were asked a series of questions by a proxy which was the researcher who asked these questions of the medium and then the medium had to provide answers pertaining to me and specific deceased loved ones of mine um, and that was pretty interesting because uh, that medium in that case was Lori Campbell who I still know, she lives in Southern California, and she's an exceptional medium. Um, and she, you know, when she was asked things about, um, you know, how did, how did the son die? Um, this, you know, the, she was given the name Brandon and tell me how Brandon died. Um, and she says, I feel something in my chest. Like, um, I feel like I can't breathe. And I feel like I want to throw up. Well, Brandon died of an asthma attack is what it was. And his friend who was hiking with him said that he vomited just before he passed out and died. Wow. So that's just a little snippet of things that she said. Another thing that was interesting, um, she was asked the question, if, you know, what could Brandon share with the sitter, meaning me, to let him know that, he, that about their relationship or that it's really him? And then um, it, she said, well, I feel like, the person behind there's a book being written and I feel like it's about him. Um, 
the sit, it's about the person who died and it's being written by the sitter. Wow. And that was soul shift was, you know, 80% done right then. And I was still working on it at the time. So there were a number of other things, but that, that was one experiment. So basically, um, and then the other one was at the university of Virginia division of perceptual studies. Um, and it was conducted by Dr. Emily Kelly. And that one was more, um, one where they sent you uh, five different readings and then you had to look at them and see what pertained to you and tell them which one you thought was yours and then grade it. So they did this with a large group of people and then sent the information back. They can't share with the sitter the specifics of your situation or whatever, but overall I know in talking to her afterward that it was a highly successful exercise, statistically speaking. And so what I've done with my mediumship uh, certification program is I don't claim to be a scientific researcher. I don't have a lab or any of that, um, but I use scientific principles. And what I'm trying to do is I'm coming from a point where, look, I know mediumship is real and that disability exists. And I want to be able to help people because they come to me all the time looking for references, especially since my books came out. That happens to me too. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know, I know a number of celebrity mediums and top-notch people who are fantastic, but a lot of them, They'll have a year, two, three-year wait list because they're so well-known, and they may charge more, too, because, you know, that's their sole way of earning a living, and they use that to regulate, you know, how many readings they get. But I needed uh, options for other people who maybe either couldn't afford that or needed to get in sooner. So I opened this up to people who were, felt they had the ability and had their own practice for a while but wanted to go through a testing process. And what it consists of is they have to go through five blind readings. And by blind, I mean they, they go on Zoom. Typically is the most common way we do this. And they'll give a reading to someone they don't know. They're only introduced at the time they go into the meeting room uh, without video, audio only. And um, the sitter uh, can share the first name, and that's pretty much it. And then they have a dialogue where the sitter can answer questions like, yes, that makes sense, or no that doesn't make sense or yes, that fits. Uh, but the medium basically has to give them a reading, you know, just from that. And then it's recorded. And then afterward, the sitter um, plays that back, transcribes it into individual statements, such as, um, did you have a son pass? Was the son's name Greg? Was Greg's favorite food um, lobster mac and cheese? You know, and then the sitter would go back and grade that. And maybe one statement would be, um, did you have a son pass? Yes. Was his name Greg? No, it was Gary. It was close, but I have to say that's incorrect. Third one was a favorite food, lobster mac and cheese. Yes, I can't believe you got that. That's accurate. Not only is it correct, I'm going to assign a bonus to that one. So basically, after I get that, you know, with all these statements, it might be 40, 50, 60 statements. I grade them as either correct, incorrect. Well, the ones that are indeterminable, I just push to the side. Indeterminable might be like, oh, your son had a friend in Europe named Matt, um, and Matt um, went to a concert with your son. Well, the parents may not be able to find Matt, so we, we're not going to worry about that. We just set that to the side. But all the other statements, we grade them for being correct or incorrect, and then those that are assigned a bonus get some extra points. And the grading system is, the medium to pass has to have at least 70 points. So it starts with the percentage accuracy. There's two factors. They have to be at least 60% accurate and have 70 total points. 
you get five bonus points for a bonus statement. So you'd either have to be at a very minimum 60%, 60% accurate with two bonus statements for 70 points, or you'd have to be at least 70% accurate with no bonus statements. Um, most of the mediums, I've actually looked at and an analyzed a lot of the data, and my top people are you know, in the 85 to 95% range. Um, but I'd say for accuracy, they're like 85 to 90%, and then there, some scores are up around 100 and then the average of the people who have passed is probably 75% accurate and a total score of 80 or 85. But that's essentially how it works. So the people with the highest scores are the ones that you recommend? Well, I put them all on the site as long as they pass. I haven't you know, designated which ones have the highest scores. I'm trying to think about how to go about that, but I don't want to be unfair to those who did pass. It's kind of like you know, if you were in fifth grade and you had a C plus average and somebody else had an A average, you both passed and you made it to the next grade. Do I call that out and say, well, these are my honor roll? <laughs> but I'm <laughs> contemplating whether to do that and how to go about that. But the bottom line is everybody on that site has gone through the process and passed. And passed. That's, and and um, tell people about your service. Where would they go? I mean, aside, people can also, of course, come on to Greek from Rebirth and listen to our interviews with mediums also. But if they want to check because your people have been uh, vetted, uh, where would they go to um, to find you know your your service? So I would have them start. Just go to my site because I have links to various sites on there, and my site is markirelandauthor.com. Um, and so on my site, I have links to Helping Parents Heal. Right. I have links to the Certified Medium site. I also have links to my father's site where they can see videos of my father on the Steve Allen show and get That's a flavor cool. for, for how good he was. Um, and again, it's um, Mark, it's M-A-R-K, Mark Ireland, like the country, MarkIrelandAuthor.com. That's great. And we'll say it again in a little while, everyone. Sure. And Mark, you talk about in your book about synchronicities. Would you like to explain what they are? Do you have a couple of examples for people who um, are like, things are coincidental. What's a synchronicity, you know? Um, I think the term was coined by Carl Jung, a uh, famous psychologist, but it, it means meaningful coincidence. So it's, it, you know, what it basically gets to is that, you know, life isn't just random stuff happening, that there's an underlying a pattern or something that brings about uh, a connection of important things that need to connect in some way. The synchronicity is how I view that. So I have a number of synchronicity stories in the book. Um, I don't know if you've gotten to that chapter yet or not. But I think the most yeah, compelling one. a couple one, of your faves. Yeah, I, really my favorite is fairly long. So I'll, I'll tell you this one because it's just kind of mind-blowing. Um, yeah, we need so, a mind-blowing one. Go ahead. <laughs> so this goes back a number of years. So when SoulShift first came out, I was trying to promote it. And back then, Facebook hadn't really taken off. So I was using MySpace. And through that, I um, connected with a woman in New Mexico who had lost a son or had a son pass. and. Um, told her about the book and she read it and really liked it. And then we kind of became friends. And then around similar time, there was a woman in Florida who I'd gotten to know. Her name's Kim. The woman in New Mexico is Denise. So Kim, her son passed from, um, he had a bad liver and he had a transplant and it took, but it only lasted six months and then he died. So Kim, again, she, she read my book. She was in Florida. 
uh, in the Pensacola area. And uh, Denise was in New Mexico and her son had died in an accident. It was an automobile. Actually, she, he was in a truck accident. So um, a short time after this, after I got to know both of them, Denise had gone to a conference for bereaved parents. Now, this is before Helping Parents Heal existed, so it was a different organization. But the meeting was in Portland, Oregon, where I live now. <laughs> and um, after going to this, Denise came back to me. She says, hey, Mark, I met a woman there named Kristen. And Kristen really was having a hard time because she doesn't believe in anything at all. She just thinks it's this life and that's it. But while she was there, I did get her at least to go to this one session by a man named Mitch Carmody. And Mitch talks about signs. Um, and it at least piqued your interest to some degree. Um, so I, and so Denise really was grasping at straws saying, do you have any ideas on how we could help her? So I said, well, why don't you get her address and I'll send her a copy of my book and uh, write her a little note. So I did that. And um, when I got the address, I noticed that Kristen lived in Gulf Breeze, Florida which is basically a suburb of Pensacola. They're like twin cities. They're just, they're adjoined by a bridge. So I sent this letter and I said, hey, um, dear Kristen, here's my book. You know, here's my background. Um, I hope this is helpful to you. Please feel free to reach out with any questions or if you want to talk, let me know. So I sent this and it wasn't long afterward, I got an email back from Kristen. And, um, and in the letter, I had mentioned my other friend, Kim, because I knew they lived close together. I said, you know, I know someone in there who has had a son pass. Her name's Kim, and you might reach out to her because the two of you might be able to help each other. So, like I said, maybe a week later, I get an email back from Kristen, and she says, Dear Mark, thanks so much for the book. I really appreciate it, and thank you for um, letting me know about Kim, but I've got to tell you, I already know Kim, and it's not in a good way, you see, because my daughter was killed in a car accident, and Kim's other son was in that other car that hit my daughter. Um, and I'm like, what are the odds of this? This is one in, one in 300 million because there's 330 wow. million people in the U.S. So my gut reaction was I responded. And I said, you know, this is just crazy. I said, I don't know what this means, but there must be some meaning to this. And my feeling is it's about healing. It has something to do with healing. So I was just baffled. And then I called, um, I called Kim up and I said, you know, I didn't, you never told me about this. This is wild. And she had just mentioned that what had happened was her other son had been delivering Chinese food that evening and it was raining out, I believe. And um, so Kristen's daughter had gone to a party and got a ride home from a girl she didn't know. And that girl was driving and dropped the compact disc on the floor and reached down to get it. When she reached down, she spun the car out of control Ooh. and it went right into the path of the other vehicle. So I think it hit on the passenger side, and, th and that's what had happened. Now, Kristen was angry, I think, because maybe because she didn't have that foundation of belief or whatever. So there was a real tense relationship between those women at the time. And it, it was really, you know, a tough thing. And I felt like it had to be about healing that relationship somehow. And um, so a short time later, Denise in New Mexico, and I remember I have these three women across the country. Denise um, applied for and got sponsored for a grant for two women to go to a retreat, a spiritual retreat. I think it was in Montana or Wyoming or something, or Idaho. I don't remember which. But she had applied, and she took Kristen. So Kristen and her went to this, and um, it was like a week long, I think. But at the end of it, I get an email from Denise saying, hey, Mark, 
Kristen's like a new person. You know, this has transformed her. So I was, you know, I felt much better after hearing that. And so You've Kristen, done your job, Mark. Well, Kristen then sent me a note short time later, and she says, Dear Mark, I just wanted you to know that I'm no longer a physicist. I'm now an engineer. And I knew exactly what that meant because in the last, one of the last chapters of my first book, Soul Shift, I said the difference between a physicist and an engineer is that a physicist insists on knowing how something works and an engineer is just glad to know that it works. And um, after that happened, Kristen and Kim did get together um, and started conversing again. And before long, uh, Kristen started a Helping Parents Shields chapter and Kim was helping her, and then Kim was into organ donation, and Krista was helping her. That's wonderful. And look what you did, how you connected them, and what a blessing it ended up being for both of them. I didn't do much, really. All the work was behind the scenes, and I just uh, kind of yeah, connected well, the dots. You were the vehicle. You were the vehicle. That, All of us you know, were vehicles. You, you know, were the vehicle. Just, yeah. um, speaking of your stories, how about sharing one of your favorites that involves your wife experiencing a direct visitation from your son? Yeah, this is one of my favorites, and it's not even involving a medium. So um, to set the stage for the story, first off, the day that my son passed on the mountain, there was another group of hikers. And in that group, uh, there was a man named James Linton, who's a musician. And he, he wrote his own music, great guitar player, great vocalist. And he had his own like in-house studio. Well, he um, now we didn't know who he was, but we had heard from the boys after Brandon passed it, there was another group of people up there, but they didn't get any information as to who they were. But um, two weeks after or a week after, I, there was an online obituary and all these people signed in like a guest book. And I saw this entry from James Linton saying, hey, we were the people up there. And if you want to talk to us, we were there that, you know, when your son oh, wow. passed. And so we were able to meet him and then got to know them. So now... Fast forward six months later, we're about to go on a cruise. And that cruise originally was going to be to celebrate Brandon's graduation from high school. But since he had transitioned, we took his best friend, Stu, instead, along with our older son, Stephen. And before we're leaving, we loaned Brandon's. Brandon was a bass player. So we loaned his bass guitar to James Linton. James said he was recording some music in a studio. He didn't have a bass. And even though Brandon was right-handed and James was left-handed, he still was good enough to be able to make that work. And so we go on the cruise, we're gone for a week, we come back. The day we get back, uh, my wife Susie's sitting on the foot of our bed. And while she was there alone in the room, she saw out of her peripheral vision, a shadow figure, and she knew intuitively inside that it was Brandon, she could feel it was Brandon. And it lasted for maybe 30 seconds or something like that. The very next day, James calls us and without any knowledge of this happening, and James says, um, hey, Susie, I've got something to tell you, but I don't know how to tell you. And she was afraid he may have dropped the bass guitar and broken it. Um, but he said, well, I was, doing, I was recording this song. And as I was going along, I felt like there was another presence in the room with me. And I saw a shadow figure out of my peripheral vision. And I saw flashes of light. And I thought I was hallucinating. So I, I went to get something to eat. And I drank water. I took a shower. But every time I came back, it was stronger and stronger. And then eventually I thought, I'll just give in. And, and so he verbally said, okay, Brandon, what do you want? And at that point, he was guided to rewrite the lyrics to the song he was working on and rework the bass track. And it ended up being the song called uh, The Other Side. 
Wow. This unbelievable song. And he, he said, this is the best song I've ever written, but I didn't write it. I would so love to hear that song. Is that recorded somewhere that we could yeah, hear that somewhere? Um, I, have an M, I have an MP3 of it. I'll send it to you. And I, I plan to put it on YouTube soon, too, just so I can share it out. But, you know, even if somebody even denied the channeling of the song, which I totally believe, but even if you denied that, what are the odds of those two people having those experiences back to back that are nearly identical, you know, a day apart uh, without each other knowing about it? That's an amazing story that that should give our listeners a lot to think about and start to think about things that go on in their lives that are very interesting. Also, I mean, a voice came into my head. What was what was that about? I had never experienced anything like that either. You know, it, it, it gets you. It really opens you up. Um, also, I want to ask you, you published your dad, Richard Ireland's book titled Your Psychic Potential, A Guide to Psychic Development. Could you share what your dad, who was one of the top psychic mediums of the 20th century, said about the relationship between artistic talent and the psychic, which is in itself a talent? People don't understand this at all, so I'd love you to tell us about that. Well, even the way I got this book was crazy. So um, 12 years after my dad had passed, and this is shortly after Brandon passed, somebody gave me this manuscript that I'd never seen before. And I'm like, well where did you get this? And the person, you know, knew my dad. And he said, and I was out of state at the time. My dad was in Arizona. I was in Denver for five years. And he said, well, um, your dad gave it to me for safekeeping. I said, well, why are you giving this to me now? 12 years later, he goes, I don't know. I just feel like I'm supposed to. And then um, it was just months later than that. I had a reading with Alison Dubois, who was at the time not famous, but now she is because of the show Medium, but the real Alison Dubois. And she's, uh, one of the first things she said to me is she says, I have your father here and he's showing me a book and I think it's his book, but he's handing it to you for you to take forward. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, it made sense. <laughs> it was crazy. Cause that was just, um, wow. just a short time after, you know? Um, and so that's how I got the book published. But in terms of answering your question, yeah, my dad felt like we all have an aptitude or, or abilities or gifts and he would typically call psychic an ability more than a gift because he believed everybody had it or has it. And I do too. But I think there's a very, there's a, a, a level to which somebody can, can get. Just like musically, the analogy I've used before, like I play guitar, but I'm not Eric Clapton. You know, Eric Clapton had this natural ability and he probably worked hard. So I could work as hard as I want and get pretty good. But maybe I'll never be Eric Clapton either, you know. So I grew up playing the violin, but I'm not Isaac Perlman. So there you go, you know. <laughs> it's the same type of thing, right? But I think it's it's kind of a creative ability too, because yeah. those things tap into the intuitive side of us. It's just like I compose music sometimes and songs, and I do writing. So when I write these books, some of it's inspired writing. You know, it's not just me reporting facts and things. It's like it kind of comes to me. I think the same holds true for like if I'm putting a song together, um, you know, and for whether it's something that molds clay or whatever, I think the psychic is that it's an ability like that. It's just a different one that we haven't recognized. Yeah. It's, I think, I think I tell, I, I agree with that. I agree with your dad. I think it's something that people are born with and that they can they and if they're born with it and they have the natural ability and they work on it and they train it all, they hone it to a very fine uh, art form. Yep. It's, it's true. Um, you have a quote that I absolutely love. 
So I'm going to share it amongst many others that you have, because I think people should all buy your books. But this quote is just wonderful. This life is a short ride, and someday we will ditch these bio suits, after which time our spiritual essence will gravitate onto the next realm of experience, reuniting with loved ones who have passed. Mark, why is it important to heal the pain of grief in the life we are living now before we ditch our bio suits and move on to the next realm of experience? Well, to me, it's fairly simple. It's if we don't heal that grief, first off, we're going to live in misery for the rest of our time here. And secondarily, we're not going to complete the mission we came here to accomplish. And I think we each have one. I think we each have a path and a purpose for being here. And so you have to heal that grief so that you can go forward. And also, you can be a, a better healer for others having gone through that. You can touch mm -hmm. other lives in a more profound way because you know what it's like. You've experienced it yourself, and you can be of greater service to others. And it really does help with grief when you can, because I've experienced it myself. When you can um, heal, heal, have people help you to heal, and it opens you up for the rest of your of your life. And it doesn't negate the person you're grieving at all. They want you to heal. They don't want you to be suffering Agreed. and living in that pain forever. How tell everyone how they can connect with you and where they can purchase your books and whatever you'd like to, to uh, you, if you want to tell them about helping parents heal, whatever you'd like. Sure. So um, in terms of connecting with me, just go to my website. Um, there's a contact button there if you want to email me or if you just want to look at the books or buy the books um, or look at any of the media connections that I have there. I have a lot of articles I've written, other interviews that I've done, some clips from TV interviews I've done that Discovery Channel piece. Um, there's a link to a documentary. So there's a lot there, um, but that's markirelandauthor.com. Again, that's Mark with a K, the word author. Um, I'm sorry, Ireland like the country and then author. So markirelandauthor.com. As far as helping parents heal, you know, you're, like you mentioned, I co-founded that along with Elizabeth Boyson. Um, it's been around 10 years ago. And it's grown like wildfire. It really started as a single location group meeting that Elizabeth started. And then thanks to a medium friend of mine, Tina Powers in Tucson, giving me a nudge to do something uh, that she really felt like my main mission was to help parents who had been through this. Um, I thought about how could I do something on a bigger scale than what Elizabeth did. And I thought, well, why reinvent the wheel? You know, she's got the meeting thing down. We just need to have other resources to be able to build this out with a newsletter and a website. And to have and blueprint her methods to have other people have groups. And now, as you'd mentioned earlier, we have 90 affiliates and we're worldwide now. We're not just in the US and um, 17,000 plus members on Facebook. Um, and we've had a conference with the 400 people at the first one and 600 signed up for the second one. Unfortunately, we had to postpone it because of the COVID 19 situation. But we're tentatively looking at spring next year, assuming everything's back to normal. Uh, we may have a venue change, but we don't know yet. But we'll keep people posted, and uh, they can sign oh, up for it may the not be, It may not be in South Carolina. It may be somewhere else. Possibly. We, do, we have to look at all the logistics. And, again, that plays into when it takes place and, and the whole thing with the COVID situation. So go to my website, sign up for my newsletter, and, and you'll stay posted on that. And if you want, you can also go to the Helping Parents Heal website, sign up for that newsletter as well. And, and, you, and that newsletter pr provides 
uh, other parents' stories of their experiences too. So it's very healing to people. And, and mine all. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. I think what I see about our organization, really, why it's grown so much, it's the only one that allows the open discussion of of the evidence for the afterlife and people to share their spiritual experiences. Other groups for parents don't allow that, and that's really what's differentiated us and how we've grown so fast. Well, I'm an whole- example because I was invited by Tracy Susie, who's been interviewed on helping parents on um, grief and rebirth. Also, invited me to speak about my story uh, online uh, to the Helping Parents Heal community, and from there, I also spoke to Cat's community in England. So, again, and many people said that was wonderful to hear because it helped me with what I'm going through, and it helped me to know that there is more from with what you experienced so i think it's it's just a wonderful organization like i said the one no one ever wants to belong to but thank god it's there right and so we have 90 um meeting actual groups that physically get together and meet although right now they can't and then we have these online groups too like the one tracy and brian are involved with which for people who don't have a group near them um, or they want to go more frequently and see things more often that group was established for people in maybe in remote areas or whatever, but it's open to anybody as well. Um, so that's kind of, you know, why we have multiple groups uh, and they're geographically tied. Like the one with Kat is, you know, for England. Um, and as we have more affiliates in England pop up, you know, she may just ha- have a, a group that's within her closer geographic area. But right now that's, that's the deal, but we're growing so fast. Who it's knows? so amazing. It's amazing, and you, it's such a wonderful blessing that you're doing well, we, for people. We see people come in, you know, in a certain state and leave in a much better state. I'm not saying everybody, because some people get stuck, and, and you try your best, and maybe they don't get over the hump. But I would say, you know, 90% of the people that I've seen come in, they end up in a much better place. And they're surrounded by people who've had similar experiences and have also transformed from it, right. which is just marvelous. Now, people go, uh, can, of course, purchase your books through your website, and I guess through Amazon, anywhere else, um, or the yeah, um, best places. So, they, you know, when they first came out, they were on bookshelves in Barnes and Noble stores and other stores. So you might still find it here or there at a, an occasional Barnes and Noble or like independent bookstores. But if, even if they don't have it, you can get it through any bookstore. They're, they're traditionally published. Um, you can get them on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com. Um, or at a Barnes and Noble store or any other store. If they don't have it, you can have them order it or you can order it online. So they're universally available. If you go to my site, I have links to all the various outlets. Even if you're in another country, I have links to Amazon UK. I have links to retailers in New Zealand, Australia, and a lot of other countries. So um, it's, it's re- those books are readily available. I can personally say that Mark's books are worth reading. I'm very much uh, resonating with his second book, uh, Messages from the Afterlife, which is just wonderful. It's tremendous. And I love the way Mark mixes his concrete knowing, his, you know, his, his reality um, with being open to it. it it's terrific. For people I think the second- need more evidence, need more concrete evidence that this is real. And that's where the second book really was more of an intellectual book, more of a scholarly work, which some people will love and some people maybe not as much. So the people that want the warm and fuzzy, I would say Soul Shift would be more to your liking. 
Um, it's still got a lot of evidence and all that, but it's the personal memoir and my personal journal and experiences that includes all those elements. But um, the second one really dives deep more into answering the scientific questions and, and shows you an experiment that I conducted with my sister prior to her passing and a lot of other things. Um, and that, you know, the issue of the religion and, and yeah. these phenomena. You're a critical thinker. That's so important. I mean, for, for all those people who I need more proof, I think your book is ideal for that. Um, Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. From my heart, true. Mark, what is your tip for finding joy in life? Um, give more than you take. Um, be of service. Enjoy your life. Have fun. You know, um, tell tell those you love that you love them. Show that love. Express love to strangers. Um, do good to other people. All those basic things that we were brought up to, you know, learn as kids. Those are all true things. It's all true, and you get joy from that, and not yes. and takes you away from whatever you're going through. It, it's so true. Yeah, when you serve others, it takes away your own pain and it helps you heal. Yeah. I can completely resonate. Thank you. Mark, you have said that loss is a significant force that can serve as a catalyst for change. It can bring about an awakening, drawing out something sacred within us. This insightful and uplifting message is fully in sync with the Mission of Grief and Rebirth podcast. Thank you, Mark for a wonderful and enlightening interview today. I'm looking forward to connecting with you at the Helping Parents Heal Conference, be it in South Carolina or wherever, let me know. And here is a reminder, everyone, that you can see the full show notes and all Grief and Rebirth podcast episodes on irenweinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at, at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks again for joining us. And as I like to say, to be continued, many blessings and bye for now.